The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode one of season three of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We are kicking off season three with a very special episode. I have Tom Went and Dave Throckmorton back here in the studio, along with previous guest Paul Wells, and we are talking about 10 reasons to love the great Steve Gadd. But before we get into the episode, I have to thank Eddie Vakin for our intro beat. Eddie had sent one in previously, and this is his second appearance on the show. If you want to get your intro beats on the show, just email them over to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. You can include a video or just audio, but definitely let me know what you're using, the gear you're using, what the concept was behind the beat. So here's what Eddie has to say. He says, it's Eddie again with another intro groove for you. I've included a video in case you want to show the kit right here. But the drums are 1962-63 Rogers Holiday model. The sizes are 12 by 8, 20 by 14, and a hard to find 14 by 14 floor tom. I know that you and Chris Hawthorne did a segment on this model, and he's a big fan of these drums for good reason. They sound great to me and sing out at the lightest touch and can take a hard hit when you need them to. The cymbals are 15-inch Istanbul 30th Anniversary hats and an Istanbul Agop 22-inch traditional ride. I added a shaker to give it a little extra grooving power. Thanks, Mike, and keep up the good work. Thank you, Eddie, for submitting your beat. And again, if you want to get your beats on the show, just email them over to drumcandypodcast at gmail.com. Just a couple, a little bit of news here before we, again, get into our 10 Reasons to Love Steve Gadd. We are super stoked to announce that we have just booked our first masterclass in, in collaboration with Hawthorne Drum Shop. And I've got my good friend Mark Giuliana coming in. So that is April 29th over at Hawthorne Drum Shop with partnership with Drum Factory Direct. Two-hour masterclass. 99 bucks to get you in. We're going to have some things to give away, all that fun stuff. It gets really limited. I think we're doing 30 seats. So um, definitely, if you want to come here, do it soon because we think it's going to sell out quick. But two hours up close and personal with great Mark Juliana. We'll have photo ops and question and answer, and he'll probably have you play and offer some of his advice to how to get to that super cool creative level. So anyway, we are stoked about that. Again, that is April 29th, 4 to 6 p.m., here in Pittsburgh, the great Mark Giuliana. So look for the link in the description, and it's over at Eventbrite if you want to book your, your tickets now. Okay, let's get to the episode. This is 10 Reasons to Love the Great Steve Gadd with Tom Went, David Throckmorton, and special guest Paul Wells. How do we begin an episode about Steve Gadd? Um, first of all, let's welcome Paul Wells to the studio. We got a hey, space here. Yeah. So, Thanks um, for having me. What is the history? Let's, let's explain that with you and these two dudes. Oh, well, we're all from Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, That's good to take a minute. I think actually it's possible that we all met at the balcony at different. Um, the balcony was sort of the premier jazz club in Pittsburgh in the 80s and 90s. I bet and, you at Foster's, oh, actually. Yeah? That's okay. the first time I talked to you. So we had a mutual friend, the drummer H.B. Bennett, who is a, a very busy working drummer in Pittsburgh. Um, and he was sort of, well, I guess a mentor to both of us, really. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. Um, in different ways, but yeah. you you had met him separately because I think yeah. your dad knew him. Yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, we just we kind of met through through HB and then became yeah. friends. And and uh, I met Throck through through you and yeah. PT, but I think more through you at the time. Okay, yeah, I feel like I, the first time I remember talking to you was out behind the balcony. Yes, is that yes. right? <laughs> Absolutely. 
And then Wells and I met at the balcony for sure. Yeah, yeah, which actually would play in better to the Weckle episode because mm. it was really there's there's a Weckle connection. That's why we yeah. initially became friends. But uh, okay, yeah. yeah. So the balcony for anyone who doesn't know Pittsburgh, that was what was its history? In Shady Side. Yeah, Walnut Street in Shady Side. It was up above. I think it's a pottery barn now. It was sort of like the second level of this building, and it was a big sort of open plan jazz club and um it could be very noisy uh, crowds could get very noisy but it was still a really great place to hear music and to to, to see people play and they had a number of national acts come through there mm-hmm. at different Watch. times too i remember um, the big band that was the first yeah thing I heard. yeah well that was hb okay. bennett okay. Uh, led the big band and that's how that's how tom and i met yeah. and um <clears throat> yeah but but uh oh i lost my train of thought well, we're I talking about Steve Katz. So yeah, let's well, get into Steve, it. <laughs> Steve would. Well, so we've all known each other for over. Th- well, Throck and I have known each other for sure for thirty years more. More, because we yeah. met in '91, I believe, mm-hmm. and we must have met around the same time. I think it was probably. I think I met you in '92. I think. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Well, happy thirty. Hey man, here <laughs> we are. Um, but but for Gad, man, I, I mean, was. I was fourteen when I met. Wow. Him. Yeah. I was seventeen, I think. <clears throat> yeah, I would have been seventeen. As so, well. as far as with Steve Gadd, I would argue that he's the most influential drummer, not named Neil Peart, of the last 45 years. How would you guys feel about that? I, I'd say that guys like Neil or Ringo or maybe Buddy Rich, too, are people that would maybe be more influential to start people playing drums. But I think once you get serious about playing drums, maybe that's the point where Steve Gadd becomes one of your most important people. Mm. Okay. Um, I feel like the the guys I grew up I mean I heard a lot of different styles of music, but the guys I heard and got into really young they were all coming out of Gad. Mm-hmm. Like Gad was the kind of the the predecessor to all that all those guys, the Weckles and Vannies and right. Dennis Chambers, Erskine, <clears throat> Will Kennedy. I mean, all you know, there's other influences to any of those guys, but but Gad really change the sound of the drums mm-hmm. kind of in my opinion you know yeah absolutely which I, I think we're going to hear it go ahead Tom no I was going to say you know I'm a little different than these guys because I kind of came to Steve Gadd after I started playing drums and got into music I was sort of already into straight ahead jazz stuff but you know before I I sort of um you know got got into Steve Gadd so it's a little bit different I think for a lot of drummers he's kind of like their their foundation mm-hmm. which is totally cool it's a great foundation to have but for me it was a little different that's not really sort of where i come from as a as a drummer so you got a unique experience with the drums yeah having such a heavy emphasis on traditional yeah. straight ahead jazz and then discovering everything else yeah i just that's how it's funny how all of our musical lives sort of come together it's different for everybody i think that's what makes it so cool um, yeah, yeah, for I, me, I just got into that music, you know. I would say you were kind of a bebop head by the almost by the time I met you. Oh yeah, for you sure. Know, certainly in high school, you oh, were like definitely, yeah. deep, deep into yeah. into straight. But I jazz. love Steve Gadd. I mean, he's he's amazing, and he was a great he could he was a great jazz drummer. I mean, he was killing. So still is absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we're so. gonna start with uh, one of Paul's picks. And this is a record I didn't know. 1973, Joe Farrell, Hurricane Jane, off the record, Penny Arcade. Oh, wow, yeah. Why did you pick this record? It's early Gad. He's still a little raw in some ways. Um, Not quite as refined, I think, as he would become by the mid-70s. 
um, but also it could be due to the music that he's playing and the way he's recorded. This this is um, pretty much every CTI record was recorded at Rudy Van Gelder's, but in the 70s, and Rudy was getting kind of a different sound than he got in the 50s and 60s. He, he had the drums more isolated. Yeah, he built the booths. He there. built the booths. He had the front bass drum off of the, uh, front head off of the bass drum. This actually sounds like maybe the bottom heads might be off the toms too, but it's actually the same Blue Sparkle Gretsch kit that um, he got in the 60s, and a lot of guys like Mickey Roker and Billy Higgins did a million records on Blue Note and Verve and yeah. labels like that on this exact same kit. And I think it's cool to hear Gad, because he actually specified in a Modern Drummer interview, somebody asked him about, you know, well, do you think you have your own sound? And he specified, he said, well, every CTI record I did, I used Rudy Van Gelder's drums. So if I have a sound, it doesn't really have to do with the drums specifically. And it's cool to hear him playing a kit that we, you know, a little a bebop Gretsch kit and not... You know, the kit, like the recording custom kit or something that we associate them with. But I also picked this because this has some cool solo breaks. And you can really hear, even though he's playing, it's kind of like funky fusion. You hear right away the influence of, of bebop and the bebop drummers on him. You hear Max Roach language. You hear Philly Joe language. You hear Elvin Jones language. Like, licks directly copped from those guys. And I think it's cool. I, I love tying somebody like Steve Gadd, you know, back to his influences and, and how it ties into the music that has influenced me as well. So that's why I picked right. this. So this is the excerpt from 2 minutes and 50 seconds. Hearing the bass drum in the left and the rest of the kit in the right. I'm hearing the bass drum on the left. Yeah, super yeah. weird. That's that's you know uh, maybe just that early was, that early seventies. Yeah, ex- <laughs> experimentation with with um, stereo. Rudy didn't use. I don't think he got anything more than live to two track until the late sixties. So multi track recording and the ability to pan instruments to one side or the other in post was maybe still relatively new to him at this time so that might have just been him experimenting a little bit pretty wild I mean it still yeah. sounds like Gad to me mm-hmm. totally I mean it's totally I don't know how old he was at that point but uh, I oh I should know this but I believe he, he was born in 45 so he would have been 28 yeah he's actually had been he was the same age as Tony Williams mm-hmm. and it's interesting to think about how their career paths even though they were the same age, kind of were different. In, Very different, in, in, yeah. As far as, you know, timeline of when they kind of took off and became influential. Well, I guess Steve spent some time <clears throat> in the military, so that's probably where yep. we didn't hear of him until he was a little bit older, you know. Yeah, for sure. 
<clears throat> for sure. And and I think it's interesting too that he was really a jazz guy um, until he got to New York and started yeah. doing studio work. And had he come to New York, had there not been, um, he he spent time in the military because he was drafted. Mm. And had there not been a Vietnam War at the time, maybe he would have met went to New York City sooner, and maybe he would have ended up with some you know as a sideman to some straight-ahead jazz heavyweights at a sooner, you know, at a younger age. And maybe his career path would have been different. I don't know. i got to check out that record. I've never heard it. You yeah, guys it's know a cool that one. one. I don't know that one. Yeah, it's a good I one. I don't know that one real well. It's good. I've heard I a little bit of it. I haven't played it in a while. There are a few. He did a, a bunch of records on CTI, yeah. and they're all. some of them are really straight-ahead. There's a Jim Hall record called Concerto that's oh, yeah. a, a great record, jazz record with Rod Carter. I remember Rod that one, he basically plays quarter notes for like 45 yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then there's a bunch of Bob James records, and yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on CTI, all recorded at um, at Rudy Van Gelder's, uh, for the most part. And and um, that record we heard actually has Herbie playing uh, Rhodes. Mm. Yep. Herbie's on that record, which uh, I'll bet I, I would imagine Gad was probably excited to get to play with Herbie on this record. No Maybe, doubt. You know, I mean, who wouldn't be? But right, you know, Gad was a huge, huge fan of the the '60s Miles Quintet, so. We're going to jump ahead just two years, and I think the difference between hmm. that track and this one, which is Stanley yeah. Clark's Silly Putty <laughs> off of Journey to Love. Um, this is another one of your picks. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say that this, when I heard this track, it made me laugh and made me ask, how many adult films do you think Steve Gadd has been the drummer on the soundtrack? Because <laughs> <laughs> it sounds straight out of the, I'm like, well, I haven't heard this kind of music before. <laughs> this one's from the beginning, though, isn't it? The time oh track. yeah, beginning yeah, yeah. Because the intro is, <clears throat> I mean, the, his sound. This is this is one of the earliest examples I think where you really hear him. Like this is the Steve Gadd sound starts to become really crystallized. Also, I just think the feel on this is is remarkable. I think it's it's really funky, super funky. Let's check it out. Something else later that you wanted to particularly no, highlight? That's, that's the idea. Sounds like it's in slow motion to me. It's a hard tempo. <laughs> that is a hard tempo. <laughs> that's a really hard <clears throat> tempo. And and he is, you know, not, I mean, he's maybe 30. You know, he's, he's. it takes some experience to, to play a tempo like that. And and you hear at the beginning, if, 
um, in, in no way meant to, to, to criticize Stanley Clark, who's a genius, but um, Stanley's rushing a little bit at the beginning. Like, he's not quite as set. Like, it almost feels like he wants to play that tempo a little quicker mm-hmm. at the beginning. And, and Gad is just keeping it right. And, 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 and Stanley does settle into a really great pocket with him after, after a, you know, a little later in, into that intro. But, um, yeah, I just think it's... Um, a fantastic groove and and what year is that again 75 75 and he's any he, it's just the space too like when he goes up to the ride he's not just playing eighth notes he's kind of playing some mm-hmm. just a few syncopated notes on the bell of the ride symbol sounds like he's still playing an old k sounds like a a big old k um and uh but this is around the time he started using a 10 inch and a 12 inch rack tom mm. uh and and 13 and 14 rack toms mounted on the floor um and that's you know i mean this is this is right around when 75 is right around when he started doing that um and it i mean it completely revolutionized i mean still to this day if you go to uh, any drum shop and you know you're gonna see a kit on the floor just like a pre-packaged kit that's gonna have a 10 and a 12 Mm -hmm. and that didn't exist until Gad did that. Mm-hmm. I went through that 10, 12, 13, 16 with my export kit. That was mm-hmm. the vibe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All yeah. because of him, because of pictures. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there are there are a lot of people you talk to that to them is the standard kit, mm. like a 10 and a 12. You know, maybe a different size bass drum or a different size floor tom. Maybe it's mounted, maybe not. But a 10 and a 12 is, you know, and, and to some people, if you use one rack tom, there are a lot of people that would use just a 10. And, and again, it all comes from Gad. I can't think of anybody. The only people that were using a 10-inch rack tom would be if they also had a 6 and an 8 and a 12 and a 13, et cetera. <laughs> you know, like a big set with every size tom. But I don't think anybody... Actually, until you get back way back into like the 30s and you'd have drummers maybe using a 10 and a, a 14 or something and like a... you know, yeah, maybe, it's totally different. Yeah, like, like Swing Arrow or even earlier, you would see that size. So you'd have to go way back to that era to find somebody using a 10. We're going to jump just one year to 1976, which is one of my picks. And I think this is ground zero for what we think of modern fusion music. Um, I almost picked this track. Yeah. yeah. I feel like before this, it was very muscular. It was, it was Lenny White. It was Billy Cobham. And before that, it was a little bit more avant-garde with Dijonette and Tony. But this... I will argue, I didn't live during this time, but this established what Weckle and Vinny and Dennis and everyone else would do. And it's just this track. I don't like this record except for the track Night Sprite. Mm. It's my opinion. But oh, yeah. I just wanted to highlight the solo section because I think it's just perfection. So this is three and a half minutes in the Night Sprite. Solo. It says it all yeah. <laughs> for me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that if you if you went back to a little bit to where the the chick and and um, Joe Farrell are soloing, some of the stuff that Gad's playing is very signature 
Gad, oh, yeah. um, very 16th note-y, slightly maybe Mambo-influenced, but with a backbeat fusion. And also how. the way he played the section before that, the way he was orchestrating... The 2D sort of thing, yeah. yeah the way totally. he was sort of orchestrating between the snare drum and the tom-toms, mm. that, to me, is very, very much indicative of that of mm. that style. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. You know, and, playing sections like that in that manner. But I think also if you had a drummer play this 10 years previous, right. they would have orchestrated it very differently. Yeah, around no, kid. absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like if you had Grady Tate playing that. It would have been totally been, different. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't have much more to say except I think that is the template for what we all then. It's funny you mentioned that Weckl was influenced by that. He talks about that tune and that record, and he he one of his first bands when he got to the New York area was called Night Sprite. Oh, really? Yeah, one of the first <laughs> bands. It was actually the band that I believe it was the band that Peter Erskine first heard him play, and then Erskine ended up recommending him for major gigs. Oh. Or things that led to major gigs. It's all but, Erskine's but the band fault. Was, yeah, the band, the band was called Night Sprite, named after that tune. Wild. <clears throat> I think Vinny played it on the... Uh, That's right. One of those... The, the, the Is explosion thing? Yeah, yeah, the Steve Gadd um, tribute. So, Throck, you picked a Paul Simon track, but it's not the one that everyone thinks you would pick. So why'd you pick you Oh, You could kind of pick any of them. <laughs> um, this was a big record in my house growing up. This This got played non-stop at my house my dad would play this just over and over and actually we had like the the movie on like a VHS too so I've watched the mm. movie a bunch of times when I was a kid um I just like the way he I love the whole record still I, I really love this record and um he plays this nice little intro which is ridiculous and the feel is just really great I mean, what can you say about this guy? I mean, he's, everything feels great that he plays. Was your you know? dad a, a Gad fan? He was a fan, but he played different than that. Like, he was influenced by some of the drummers from this era, but um, he's about the same age as Gad, but he, my dad played a little, I don't know, a little more, an earlier style, a little bit. Danny Coming out of, like, come out of like big band drumming, and, and, like, I don't think he got to play enough music like, like, not pop music and stuff so much, you know. Mm-hmm. He had, like, a higher-tuned thing. My dad tuned a little higher and played a little more, like, I don't know. Not as broken up as, like, what Steve Gadd kind of started. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, not that jazz drummers broke stuff up, too, but my dad was coming up more from the hands mm-hmm. than, like, breaking stuff up between the hands and the feet, you know. So did you that hear this as, like, fresh drum stuff or just drum stuff because it was played in your house all the time? Say that again. Did it sound like exciting new drum stuff when you heard it, or was it yeah, just Yeah, I mean, it was all exciting to me because I was so young. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, regardless of what I was hearing, I was pretty excited about it, you know. Um, <clears throat> I mean, a, a thing I picked later is the thing that kind of got me mm-hmm. more aware of, like, the connection of seeing him play, um, seeing video of him play, which, which made me kind of freak out. But... I wasn't aware yet because I wasn't really young. You know, when I'm eight, nine years old, I wasn't really reading the back of all the jazz records yet or, or opening them up and reading the personnel. But I but I was hearing a lot of it. So later, as I heard stuff more, I was like, oh, I remember this record from when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Whether it be a Tom Scott record or 
could be anybody, George Benson or like Barbara Streisand, guilty. Like you're like, oh, Steve Gadd's on all this stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or Paul Simon or whoever. Any lots of singers, just random records. Um, but yeah, this one just sticks out to me for some reason. I just I think it's pretty amazing. Well, this is the intro to O Marion off of One Trick Pony by Paul Simon. got brains, he just don't use them, that's all. The boy's got brains, he just refuse to use them, and that's all. He says the more I get to thinking, the less I tend to laugh. The boy's got brains, he just abstains. The choices, wow. dude. The choices. Another hard tempo, you know. Yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> the space and that whole thing is hard. That groove is is yeah. Everything. Try try making that feel like that. Oh yeah, yeah. And he man he he phrases like a jazz drummer when he plays stuff. Yeah. The, even those little fills. I mean that he phrases like he's yeah. You know. Yeah. To, I mean to my ear anyway. I agree. And I think That's like, fantastic. And I think one of the things I noticed about Gad, like my brother. <laughs> I know you guys just filmed a, one of these about Neil. Yeah. My brother was really into Rush and and stuff like that, and and also into the music that was played in our in our house growing up. My brother's four and a half years older than I am, and um, uh, man, I can't remember where I was going with this. <laughs> um, was it something about feel or about? I can't even remember. Brush? I'm old. Oh, what's the connection? <laughs> Sorry, bro. Don't worry about it. It'll come back to me. Well, I would say that Rush didn't play tempos like this. You know, it's like, I mean, that was something that, for me... Oh, I, I know said, what I was going to say, but continue, yeah. Well, just that that if you're... I find for myself, if, you know, I have a... My, my background playing backbeat music comes from stuff like Rush. Mm-hmm. My experience playing music professionally is as a jazz drummer, where a lot of the time we're, we're playing tempos that are needing to have some push to them yeah sure this is fiercely hard to play uh, what, what I, I remember what took... I was going to say what, what, I, what I think I remember about Gad especially with the first time I saw a video of him play I, I really felt that element of um, stretching phrases and time mm-hmm. you know like someone like Elvin does that like crazy Latin drum, drummers mm-hmm. do that like Tim, Tim Bali players the first time I saw Tito Puente's band I was just like wow listen to how hard they can pull this music. And I don't know why, as such a young kid, that particular sensation mm. hit me so hard. Just the feeling of mm-hmm. like... It's great. A right? human yeah, element of music. Man, yeah, we can, tension we can and, move it. And, and like tension and... and surprise. And, yeah. and, and Gad always that. had that for me. Yeah. You know? It doesn't sound like he's slowing down. That's the magic. Yeah. Yes. It yeah. never does when he does that. Yeah. It's that's a great point. It never feels like wow, it's dragging. There's like an intensity, even though he's yes, got so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Thrawn, yeah. can I ask you when when you play you you play more sort of pop and backbeat music than I do mm-hmm. professionally? And do you think of Gad or somebody like? Are, do you ever visualize or just think about them 
when you're playing this kind of thing and try to inhabit some of that stuff that they I, have? Do you? Do you I'm sure. I, I know. I, I think do. it just comes through more into like just without me think yeah more organically without me thinking about it yeah certain you know you hear the music and you yeah. react to it and then sure sometimes it might be I might end up doing something where you're like oh that some gad stuff came through without me even intending right. it right you know and it depends I, on who, what the, the feel of the band is you know like or as you guys all know this I mean it just depends I mean but yeah I would say the influence of gad um you know Bernard Purdy, Steve Jordan, like these different guys, they all creep in. I think that's the great thing about influences is that you 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 never try to do that. It just happens. And that's yeah. why it's so interesting to listen to different players is because nobody had no two people have the same exact group of influences. So right. when one person you hear one thing, another yeah. person something else. I think that's what's that's the best part of it. Yeah. Is absolutely. that you're not thinking about it. It's just You've listened to it, and it's just it's part of you, and it yeah. just comes through. That's and, a great and thing. The, the guys we're covering today, Gad and Weckle, for me, like they're they're my they're my first two real drum heroes, mm-hmm. you know. So, and I was so young that I kind of had no choice but to try to really imitate. Mm-hmm. It was like, man, I, I want to sound exactly like these guys, and I couldn't. But you try your best, and then like we're all kind of the same age. I think this has come up before on some of these shows is like the MTV the, expo- the, the beginning of MTV totally. was so big probably for all of us absolutely seeing Huge. all these different styles yep. and even though it's pop music within an hour you might see a Rush tune you see Michael Jackson you see David Bowie you see you know the Cars or whoever right. all, any Quiet Riot yeah any, yeah. take your pick the police and we're all ahead. somehow that creeps into your playing as well totally so it's like but, but th- those weren't drummers where I was like I want to sound exactly like these mm-hmm. guys, you know. I know what you're saying. Yeah, but, but something with like you find someone you you relate to, and you're like, man, I, I want to find everything I can listen to of this drummer, and really try to figure out how to to get it. So these guys were like kind of my biggest teachers in a way of of just figuring out how to to work how to how to make the drums work how to make the drums speak mm-hmm. did you, know? you play along to that Paul Simon record maybe a little bit I can't remember it's so long ago yeah. I, I mean I remember playing along to to records I, I I don't remember if I ever played along to that one like this is a unrelated who plays drums on Gimme the Night the George Benson record Ugh. do you guys remember gosh I don't like it could be Gag it could be Harvey it could be someone it, it else it might be Harvey I, 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 I can't, can't exactly remember. remember I should know that I do remember Specifically, being in the dining room of my house as a kid, I remember the drums were set up in a corner they normally weren't set up in. My dad had this gold premiere kit, and um, I remember he was listening to that George Benson record, and I was kind of playing along, but I knew I had to play like really quiet, or he would be mad. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I was kind of just playing on rims and like, oh. and then I remember my dad. That was the first time my dad ever. Like said something that really like super complimentary to me. He came and he was like, "Oh, you sound really nice playing along with that." And I was like, "Wow, um. my dad thought I, like I did something cool," <laughs> and that was huge. It was like, "Man, maybe this is gonna work." That's great, you know. That's awesome, man. I definitely so, played along with Night Spread. I remember distinctly mm. playing along with that, and I did definitely remember distinctly not sounding good. <laughs> <laughs> that was one I might have tried once or twice. It's like, screw this. I'm gonna go back to some James Brown record or something. <laughs> Well, that's hard too. Yeah, I think I was somehow <laughs> smart enough. I'm not saying you guys weren't smart enough. I was somehow smart enough as a young drummer 
when I, I think that is up, what you're saying. When I would <laughs> play along Master with stuff. Passive aggressive. No, no. I, 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 I would always try to. I was always kind of aware of like, I don't know what, how to do that yet. Let yeah. me try to play along something like I might have yep. the high success rate of. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just being really straight yeah. kind of groups for a yeah. long time. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you're like, okay, let me. I mean, this is harder stuff, and yeah. you're like, man, I, don't, I still don't really understand what's happening, but mm-hmm. but but it's a, you know, it's a, pro, it's a process. Well, the next one we're going to back up two years to Chick Corea Friends record. This is one of your picks, Paul. This is One Step. Oh, thank you, man. <laughs> so, why'd you pick this one? <sighs> this was the first record that I really, the first thing I ever heard Gad on knowingly. Was um Oops, was uh, that. that's okay. Was was uh, <laughs> the first thing I heard the him on was Asia, uh, Steely Dan, um, and it was just because I started reading Modern Drummer at that time, and it just seemed like every single Modern Drummer, some somebody in some article <laughs> yeah. referenced that tune and Gad solo. So I thought, well, I better check this out. And we're gonna end with that. By I like oh, okay. <laughs> I liked it, but it didn't quite hit me at the time yet. Like I knew it was like okay, this is pretty great, but. I don't know why there's that weird synthesizer going on, and uh, I don't know. But <laughs> I got this record. I bought it from from Record Rubble. Yeah. Um, from our our friend at Record Rubble. Yeah. So did um, I. And can you introduced me to this record. Really? Okay. Yeah. This, a, was, this is the first man. Steve Gad record I, I had. I mm. got this around. One of the nicest men ever. ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's a little rough. Yeah, he was. He was not. No, anyway, so I'm thankful for him, though. <laughs> yeah. We all got so much music there. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so um, he. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I guess I got this. I was maybe in eighth grade, seventh mm. grade, eighth grade, and and um, something just connected with me with this record. It's very stripped down. It's it's a pretty record. I love the melodies. Chick plays a lot of roads, but there's a lot of straight ahead swinging stuff on this record. It's 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 a mixture, but there's more. Sort of bebop than you would hear Gad play. I on remember a by, when, when I got this and put this on, and this is the first tune, and I, I remember loving it. I was like, man, he sounds this. He sounds great. Yeah, you I know? think he's like, swinging on this. I, I mean, I heard I b- before I got this record, I knew him from like late in the evening. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that was him on mm-hmm. that. You know, a couple other pop things I knew was him, but I, you know. I was like, man, it works for me. Like, I love just playing on this record. I I thought it was wonderful. So, so I much years, years, years later um, had the chance to meet Bernie Kirsch, who was um, Chick Corea's longtime recording engineer. He engineered virtually every Chick Corea record from you know. I think he started. He, I think the first one he did was Leprechaun, mm-hmm. and um, he told me that they went in. They went to L.A. to record um, the Mad Hatter record in 77 and they recorded all the basic tracks so quickly because Gad and Eddie Gomez and Joe Farrell and Chick were so awesome they, they booked like two days in the studio and they did everything in one day so the second day they were like hey did, I got some other tunes and that turned out to be mm. the Friends album oh, wow. the same recording okay. sessions I didn't um, know. Yeah, yeah as, as Mad Hatter but it's it's just a bunch of sort of simpler tunes anyway let's, yeah, let's, let's check it out this. so this is starting at around 2.45 on the tune, what is it? The one step. The one step. One step. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. 
They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. It's hard. I mean, we we talked about this when we when we did the Neil uh, podcast. That that it's hard to disassociate yourself from how much you love the other guys. Mm-hmm. To you know, like I mean, chicks playing on this record is yeah, beautiful. It's unbelievably great. Yeah. And and Joe Farrell. Um, I mean, it's just it's it's it, yeah. I mean, it, it, a lot it, of my love feels is so relaxed too. You it know, does. Oh, so so much control. That's what yeah. hit me about this track when he's playing that little shuffle on the. I was like, man, it's just it he has this that, beautiful yeah. just feeling. Like yeah. that's that. Yeah, I like yeah. that. You know. Also, it's hard to play a shuffle and interject fills the, without yeah. completely letting Losing the shuffle the, feel collapse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and Gad is really really great at that. Um, Roger Humphreys is really great at that too. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot about playing shuffles from Gad and and Roger and HB actually too. Yeah. Since we mentioned him earlier, there there were this was a, a pivotal time for me to like, I guess you know, learn to play things that are essential. A professional drummer needs to know how to do. You, you know, know, for and, me, man, one of the this for me this record was sort of my first record that's that that Gad was on, but. My my mom also around that same time bought me the Buddy Rich Memorial Scholarship oh, yeah. concert with him. That oh, shuffle on air, keep the customer satisfied. Yeah. Almost yeah. picked that one. He's wearing that shuffle out, <laughs> dude. I, I play that for students. I'm like, here you go. Yeah, that's yeah. what Especially that's supposed to feel like. Yeah, that's really all the notes. And he's just, <laughs> I was yeah. The fills are. He's playing the most simple. You know, th- I mean everything, but it sounds so great. You yeah, know? yeah, and it's and that he, same feeling. He he always had that kind of uh, like wise beyond his years kind of yes. element to his playing. I totally you agree know? with that. Yeah. Absolutely, totally. You know, he's 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 an anomaly like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think also this this record might have been the first record where I really was starting to pay attention to somebody's ride cymbal beat oh, specifically. Like really think about like okay. What is it? Because there are points where he just plays quarter notes, mm-hmm. yep. and and there are a lot of recordings where Gad is doing that in a straight ahead situation. But it was the first time I really kind of thought about that and like, okay, what? 
what is it that there, there's something really special happening here? Yeah. And, and yep. this is something I should be paying attention to. And that is something I still think really hard about and no really question. zone in on when I'm listening to anybody. <clears throat> His sure. sound is so definitive. Like, I think about that Buddy Rich concert. He just sounds bigger. He sounds bigger and and more defined than Vinny and yeah, Michael. Yeah, it's like a... It's like a wine They're that's like, a little aged, a little yeah, it's, like it's more crisper. seasoned and more mature. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's interesting too because he's a very small guy. I, I yeah. saw him recently um, and and spoke to him a little bit and was was struck by how he has enormous hands. <laughs> his like this part of his hand is was like enormous, and the rest of him is is really, is really a small. Yeah. It's like John Bonham, small guy. Similar thing. All yeah. arms. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did I tell you guys I teched for a guy on a session? No. no. <laughs> on a Demiola record. Really? Wow. And Demiola brought in a kit, a Yamaha kit that was looked like it just came from Guitar Center. Factory heads. And he said, nobody touched the drums. So the engineer called me. He's like, you got to get in here. These drums sound like hot garbage. <laughs> so I had like 10 minutes before Demiola got there to just... What would Gad want out of a 10-inch tom? What would Gad want out of a floor tom? And got it. It sounded like crap. And he came in, hit him, kind of a little bit. 12-inch rack tom was like, eh, never played the 12-inch rack tom. But the 10 and the and the 14 sounded like freaking Gad as soon as he hit it. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And I was in the room. It wasn't like there was any mixing magic. It was yeah. like... Hey, there's. Some, I mean, we've talked about a, at a it, bunch. There's, the hands, there's some. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's just what it is. It's yeah. It's it's you. It's crazy. It how a that Peisty, comes through, like you know? like a 2002 ride cymbal, and really? you still got that sound out of wow. it. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've heard guys do that. Yeah, yeah. I've heard guys do that where they're playing different cymbals, and you're listening, and you're like, it just uh, sounds like them. Yeah. yeah. You know, hard to believe. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. yeah. I I think. Actually, we are all capable of that. We all do that. We just aren't always aware of it. And, you know, it may not be particularly good, but we all sound like ourselves. Yeah, no, that's what totally we true. Sit down, yeah. Whatever kit we sit down on. No, that's on. very true. 100%. Well, we're going to go back to your ground zero. This is the Grover Washington. Oh, yeah. Oh, why is this link not opening now? Is this the video? Will the video be on the... On the or no, or will you only hear the audio? This just the audio. Okay. Yep. Hang on, I have to get it to open up. Oh, everybody go check the video out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Grover Washington in concert. Is that what yep. the video is? 1981 yeah. in concert. Philadelphia. Yep. Okay, so. Oh, if sure. you have an enlarged prostate, <laughs> yeah, do this 15 nice. second Japanese ritual awesome. before bed to shrink yeah, it almost immediately. Yeah, it's killing on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know their target audience for this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Do you want Props. to take a break? <laughs> okay. This is the AARP oh, from Candy Podcast. So this is Grover Washington Jr. in concert, 1981, and it's almost at the end of the concert. Yeah, the, uh, on the Mr. Magic the concert, yeah. you know, at the end they they play an encore. Yeah, and they play Mr. Magic. It's so bad. And um, <laughs> and, so and, bad. and Gad and Ralph McDonald play this solo and. I just picked a little excerpt from it, but I should say, like, I'll tell the story. There was a uh, in the '80s, like when when home video stores started to pop up. The little video yep. store in my town was called Takis, and it was like a mile from my house. You could walk to it, 
you know, and you go and rent Beverly Hills Cop or whatever, you know. <laughs> Ghoulies, yeah. Rad. 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 Anyway, yeah. so my dad rented this Grover video. and uh, <laughs> Yes, sir. Man. And um, I remember I was in my room. I, I remember walking through like, the room. Like you had to go to come from upstairs. You had to go through the living room to go to the kitchen or whatever. And my dad was watching some music video, I remember. And I was come through a couple times. And finally, I was in my room. Who knows what I was doing? Probably looking at like baseball cards or something. And and my dad's like, "David, come down here." So I c- come down the steps. And he's like, "Watch this." And he played me the this drum solo. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. And that, and this literally was the moment that like. How old were you? I was young. I don't know exactly. Ten. I mean, maybe ten, maybe nine. When did I mean the home video wasn't? <clears throat> it was. I mean, it could have been, been a couple years after. Been 85. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but I was young. I'm 10, 11. Yeah. Okay. And I saw this solo, and I just was like, oh, my God. Was this before or after the, the dining room jam session? After. 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 But, again, I'd never seen video mm. of Gad, you mm. know? And to see him play, I was like, oh, my God. So there was a long period where I would walk up there to, like, you know, you you have to return the video to the store, and I would just get out the two dollars and twelve cents and, and re-rent and re- it. And re-rent it. <laughs> re-rent it. <laughs> yeah. I think eventually they just said, "Just keep it." Kid, you know? <laughs> and this is this was it. And then shortly after, there was a music store in town that that had the um, you could rent the up close the first DCI video. Oh, mm-hmm. So I just would watch these you nonstop. Know, those videos, I I I um. Was looking at an old modern drummer recently. They were where expensive. They, had, they were like a hundred dollars. Yeah, really? the early ones were really music expensive. Videos were unbelievable. Wow. And, and, you know, to buy to buy like you know Beverly Hills Cop on VHS oh, in nineteen eighty three was like eighty dollars. Yeah, dollars. Yeah. <laughs> it was a real like luxury item. Yeah, for sure. Um, at so, the time. yeah, this is this made me take this path of wanting to really right. I already wanted to play but this was like okay it's all your fault get. Grover Washington here we go Section on there when when Ralph first kind of drops out and Gas was playing by stuff, you can hear one of the guys in the band go, "Woo!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's like, come on, man. There's a herky jerkiness to his phrasing that I that is so him. Yeah, it but sounds it grooves. Yeah. The whole thing grooves. No matter how he how he does that, yeah. there's always that 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 wave is still happening. Yeah, you know? and every there's so much clarity. It's it. Oh my gosh, very yeah. easy. 
in a way to transcribe a Gad mm-hmm. solo because mm-hmm. it's just so clear. Yeah. You know, there's no like, oh, what is it he's doing? Oh, I got to slow this down. Or, yeah. you know, and it's there's not, usually not a whole lot of notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Until it's time to. Well, that's the thing about that video. Right. The whole video, he's playing like just nothing. Yeah. Like even on the tune, Mr. Magic. (laughs) Oh, I know. The whole tune, he's just playing nothing. Yep. And there's that one fill where he's like, that's, 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 Yes. It never happened. It never happened. Like it's like, yeah. here, now you get it. Yeah, of course. He, you know? he's a, he is a master of playing beat four, leaving space, and playing the downbeat right in the pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is yep. really hard. Yeah. Yep. You know, I mean, that's like, I mean, you hear it throughout that solo. You yeah. hear it in that solo. But, yeah. you know, when you do actually zero in on what he's doing and maybe transcribe something, there are some serious left hand chops. Oh, there's no oh, yeah. His, his hands are like scary. That, that, that yeah. stuff that he's doing to do. Um, oh, yeah. Do, 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 that's all, you yeah. know, 16th uh, oh, note yeah. triplets yeah. with yep. the left hand, like a, mm-hmm. like a lot of double left hand doubles. Well, super man, he clean. Was, you know, his background, he had great hands. I mean, he <clears> came yeah. up learning all that stuff. Serious know. drum core hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen his uh, already flam stuff. It's, Crazy it's, army. That's bad. Stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. what he I plays. mean, his hands still are beautiful. I mean, yep. Just yeah. complete yep. control and and and. Uh, and I think a lot of his sound comes from from doing that. Oh no question! From, from the way no that question. his hands are a lot know, of butt end. Open. He plays butt end yeah. a lot. Well, he played butt end. Actually, this is a good time <laughs> to show my prop. Oh shoot! So, <laughs> Wells got the props. Yeah. So this is We're an original. This is the original version of the Vic Firth Steve Gadd yeah, model drum. Let me see these bad boys. So this, 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 some background. This was this the my pair. Christmas present, bro. Oh, I wish. No, no, I just sold a drum set for you. This was. <laughs> I might be taking these. This was the pair that was sent to Modern Drummer for review in 1982 when they first came out. Are they and heavy? No, they're kind of light. They're light. So oh, wow. the, the the stick was originally a copy. Of these are dope. So Yamaha originally made these in the 70s for him, and then Uh um, Vic Firth made a copy of the Yamaha stick. The Yamaha stick was a copy of the Gretsch Sunny Payne stick, which is the stick that Tony Williams used in the 60s. Okay, yeah. But Gad apparently found when he was playing louder music that he had to play butt end. Mm -hmm. And you see videos of him at this time, he's usually playing butt end. Mm -hmm. And then they redesigned the stick... It's the same stick, but they just beefed up everything. They made it just a little bigger and a little more meat up here. And you never see him play uh, butt end anymore. Mm. So once well, they once they it. changed the stick to add some more weight at the top, um, he he switched. But yeah, any like I think in this Grover video we just saw, I'm pretty yeah, sure he's butt playing end. butt end. Yep. Yeah. But um, this is a this is a nice stick. It's a like kind of a between a round and a sort of a barrel tip, I guess. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. But these were like I, I remember getting oh, yeah. a, I remember getting a pair of these as a freshman in high school, and a drummer friend of mine at the time, um, hmm. a great drummer named Ian Green, who was a senior, had a pair of these. Yeah, I mean, I had and a bunch of those like, back in the day. I just it, they don't were have cool. They, they <laughs> looked cool. Like over it was here. just cool. It was cool to have. Oh, it was so cool, cool to have these. Yeah, and they and they marked up your heads really bad. Yeah. You got mm-hmm. like black. It's kind of cool though. Marks. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
definitely not the hot sticks that I've used to buy. I, I used to buy hot sticks, man. I had some yeah, ones. I'm pretty sure Danny Gottlieb still uses hot uh, sticks. I had right? the blue ones that he used, and I had purple ones. I had black ones for a long time. Nice. Oh, man, when I had the purple ones, people thought I was the man. They're like, man, you got the purple sticks. <laughs> the black tips. Throck, you're still the man. No, get out of here. I need some purple sticks. Oh, shoot. All right, we're going to move to what I think. This is the only record that I still go back to. It's your pick, though, but I listen oh. to... Uh, Chick Corea three quartets on regular rotation. Mm. I still think it's a perfect record. I have a, I have a signed, uh, by Gad, I have a signed, like framed three quartets in my living room. Yep. No yeah. kidding. Yeah, I go and I got to meet Gad finally. I don't know how long. I'll send you that picture. You, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he signed it for me, and yes. Yeah, Three quartets is something else. I think it's perfect, top yeah. to bottom. Yeah, it's a great. And record. you and I would. I told. I was going to pick this exact same chunk, so I'll let you explain why oh, you picked it. Well, it's just one of his greatest solos. It's 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 a. I mean, as he said, the whole record is is spectacular, and it's a it's a really big record for fans of Michael Brecker as well because he plays unbelievably well on it. But, um, I mean, we were just talking about those left hand triplets. I mean, he starts the solo off doing this, and it's just so. It's, I don't know, I mean, it's, if we're talking strictly technique, it's so clean and, and, I mean, I've been practicing this exact thing to try to get somewhere near where he can, he can do this and it's, it's really, really hard. But then he gets into this, it's just a great solo. I don't know, it's, it's, and, and you hear, there's certain things he does that are still, again, coming out of bebop phrasing, mm-hmm. um, bebop sort of rhythmic ideas. Yeah, I mean, and all these guys are coming from that. You know, yeah, the guys in the band. You know, that's true, right? And 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 also his. This is around the time his sound started changing a little bit because, um, I mean, this is around the same time that One Trick Pony came out. Now, by this point, he's using recording customs, and he had switched to using originally Evans Blue Hydraulic Heads, mm-hmm. which is also what he's using on that Grover Washington video. And it's a, it's it's still that Gad sound. It's still the sort of sound of a ten and a twelve, um, but it's it's a it's a more mellow contained sound um which was you know all the rage in the studios you know is less sort of overtones and harmonics happening the better um, i think this record sounds perfect and you can hear how really choked his right. snare wires are too on this yeah thing. yeah They're yeah really he choked. definitely tightened the snare wires yeah you kind of hear you almost hear the bottom head resonating mm-hmm. like sort of fighting the wires a little bit on this all right here we go buckle up <laughs>
so <laughs> ridiculous, man. Do you think they knew, like, damn, we just did something? I mean, who knows? Good gosh. And Chick is on top I, of it. I think this was like Tuesday for those guys. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're I mean, probably right. I yeah. mean, I'm sure they felt good about it, but I'm sure they're probably like, let's go get something to eat. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, I heard this record like way, way later. Like, I didn't hear this until. Me too. Until <clears throat> after I'd heard the electric band and all this stuff. Like, mm. I came to this one pretty late too, but it's and, incredible. And my brother had a cassette of it. I remember like one day, like, What's this, what's this one? You know, and yeah. he had like a case. Sometimes he'd bring home, and when he was away at the military, and I remember listening to it on my front porch, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> my God!" You know, it's, you know, another it's, Gad record where he's just wrecking oh, shit. You it's know? so fresh. I think even though oh, it man, is the yeah. hydraulics and everything, it still sounds so fresh. And the me. music is is really powerful. I mean, it's very. It's great stuff. So I think mm. all all of that makes it such a. It's one of those sort of magic, magical totally. records. Totally. And for me, like going back from like the, the electric band band stuff first, you kind of go back to all that stuff to Leprechaun and you know my Spanish heart and yeah. friends and Three Quartets. You're like, oh, this like this it's already kind of existed before this band. Mm-hmm. It, like Chick was already kind of doing it. Yeah, right. It was already Chick Corea already sounded like Chick and mm-hmm. Gab was already paving the way for these guys that came afterwards you know I love hearing Gad on some of the disco records like oh, the, yeah, hustle. He's on the Hustle oh, yeah, he lays yeah. it down he sounds well, incredible the, the Hustle those. helped um, launch his career as a studio musician I mean he that sounds was great such a huge it. hit no doubt. Yeah. That, that was one of the first really big hits he was on man yeah. he sounds so great on that stuff <clears throat> just totally and you know like the other thing like this, before I forget to say this it's like I mean, if you've ever seen Gad in a clinic or hear him talk about what he does, he's, he's so modest, first of all. But, oh, like, yeah. but like, he he's really, like, like the prototype. I mean, there's so many guys. Not the prototype, but, you know, a great example of getting so much out of not a lot. And I'm oh not trying gosh, to diminish yeah. his, his technical element or how skilled he is, but he, he just has a style and a way of playing and... Digs into this kind of this bag of tricks and just yep. it, and he always finds new things to do with absolutely with, you know yep. like you know he has his licks with the toms yep. but like the way he plays the the hi hat barks yep. yeah yeah always and different. you know and the and the flams and yep. the stretching and yep. it's like the cowbell stuff it's like yep you could like I went and saw him in clinic it's first time I ever got to be in a room with him I mean I, I think I no it was the first time I was no yeah it was the first time I was ever I ever saw him in person so it was super heavy I was older. But I knew what I was going to hear. Everybody's mm-hmm. like, Mary, you got to be excited to go hear Gad. I was like, I'm just excited to be in the room with him. Right, <laughs> right. He's I've heard it thing. all before. <laughs> yeah. I know what he's going to play. Right. And he played exactly what you thought yep. he was going to play. Yep. And it was amazing, but it was more just about, Hearing man, it there, there he is. Yeah. Like, that's the guy I've been spending my whole life, like, yeah. worshiping, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've been lucky to see him a number of times at the Blue Note with Chick, mm. where they were exploring some of this music. That I, I The first... I mean, the first time I saw Gad was with Paul Simon on wow. the Rhythm of the Saints tour, which was wow. amazing. Man. That was amazing. That's really too. cool, man. With Brecker, too. Wow. But, um, you know, I saw him over the years with different people, but then I, I saw him a number of times with Chick where they were playing music from Friends and Leprechaun, and I saw them once play the entire Three Quartets record. Um, and, and it was really powerful to see him with Chick and to see their communication, mm-hmm. even at a much older age, 
uh, to still see their relationship and mm-hmm. and um, you know just sort of hearing that groove and his sound with Chick's sound and Chick's yeah. feel it was and and also the the blue notes tiny and to be right up close to to hear and to hear the sound coming off of the drums acoustically yeah mm-hmm. pretty cool I'm really lucky to have gotten to see yeah. that. Next up is Zildjian Day, 1984. Yes. One of the most infamous. <laughs> yes. Infamous, is this your pick? Yeah. Sweaty, Sex, yeah. slightly bloated gad. Clean shaven. Clean shaven. A whole different era for him. This might have been the end of his like crazy period, I think. It was getting towards that, yeah. Um, I think that was maybe around 85 that but I mean, changed. So I mean, again, man, it's like like you were saying about the the, the Buddy Rich video with Gad and Weckle, and this you know this video had Alice Cunha and Tommy Campbell and right, Tommy Finney Campbell. and Cobham wow. <laughs> Gad at the end, and it's like <clears throat> man, Gad just like I just picked from the beginning, just like, oh, it's great, yep. it's just so like unbelievably like infectious and powerful presence and dynamic yeah. go ahead well zach danziger told me he was at this yeah he was mm-hmm. there at that i think he still has a t-shirt wow said. that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah. where, where was it because it's such it a was dry, in new york dry sounding room it was it in say? new york somewhere probably yeah. uh maybe um hammerstein ballroom oh okay or some of the ritz or the rocks somewhere in Midtown, probably like a you know a two thousand seater theater or something like that. I really wish I knew what Gad did the <coughs> night before this because he was definitely doing something. I what? think you know what he did. The night before this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dude, it, it, he's just uh, how powerful is this playing? You know, it's unbelievable. It's so ridiculous, man. Well, yeah. people, I've seen this a thousand. I mean, thousands of times, <laughs> and it just never gets old, man. The, the thing that's incredible. And and this is not a revelation. People say this about Steve Gadd, but the the combination of emotion and control. Mm-hmm. You know, it's extremely emotive playing, extremely passionate, and there's all this sort of uh, kind of energy happening, but with none of the rushing yeah. or inconsistency right. that comes from that. Yeah. Like when I try to play like that, or if sure. I get inspired enough to get into that mode and I listen back and it's all rushing yeah, and, and it's and, all and, and, and the, you know, his use of space, space. you know it's, 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 it's ridiculous yeah and there's I mean this just grooves from yep. the first note to the last yeah. yeah it's amazing yeah well let's check it out
we could go on for yeah. seven minutes. We just did a whole thing. Yeah, it's just like it's so ridiculous. Just a couple of things. I, um, I'm pretty sure that Gad was the first person that I was aware of crashing a ride symbol. Hmm. You know, as a kid, I thought, okay, that's a ride symbol. You play it, ding, 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 ding. Maybe if you're really feeling like a hot shot, you might hit the bell. Well, I mean, all the jazz guys were crashing ride symbols. I didn't, I wasn't listening you to them. You were listening to the first person I, you heard the only, do it. The know? only jazz guy I really was checking out at that time would have probably been Buddy Rich and maybe Louis Belson. And mm-hmm. they definitely crashed on the ride, but I wasn't aware that that sure, was sure, sure. what they were doing. And this is the first, you know, like, he has a ride and a crash. Well, he has that other symbol that other little symbol that he never hits. <laughs> <laughs> but he's crashing the shit out of the ride. Yeah. And I just thought, like, oh, that's cool. Well, there's that, there's that, that thing later in that clip um, oh, where he's like, bang, he hits those two symbols, <laughs> it's and, it's, and so you're just waiting intense. for, like, the drums to explode. Yeah. And it's, 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 I mean, it's loud as all hell, but it's, it's amazing, you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, that actually just, not to <laughs> geek too hard on gear, but, you know, Gad was the first, he, he really put, or he certainly helped put Yamaha oh, on the map as, a, on, as a drum company. You know, Al Foster was their earliest endorser, I believe, and Harvey Mason, who left, but you know, Al's still with them. But Gad started playing them around '77, I think. And and I mean, if he was playing his earlier kit, you know, if you look at his kit, there's only a few pictures of his kit in the '70s: Pearl Toms, mm-hmm. Gretsch bass drum. And like he had flat base hardware, you know, like little Ludwig stands. Probably, if he tried to play like this, he, he the, the stuff would have <laughs> fallen over, yeah. you know. And I think like maybe he was in some ways like, okay, I'm comfortable on this. I can lay into this stuff because I know it's going to hold up, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool, you know. Modern uh, drum equipment that doesn't break, that doesn't yeah. fall over when you're playing it. I love that he's on a big drum event and the drum heads are old. There's tape old all over them. Yeah, that, that, we, before we stopped that shot up through the second rack saw. Yeah, all the tape, See all the tape residue. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's amazing. Which has become a vibe now, but back then, I think everyone was thinking clean. Like, yeah. Make sure your stuff is... And also, man, like, Gab was the first guy I saw, like, I mean, video of, like, where he was cutting out the drum head, like, mm. Four zero mm. rings and like he would pull it off the snare and put it. He oh, does it wow. on that. Yeah, you know? he had it. He had the zero tape. ring tape to the rim so that pull he could it pull it off and it would hang there. Yeah, I did that. I did that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. He still does that. He still uses a zero ring sometimes, and he'll take it off. I, what he does is now is he takes it off and hangs it on the floor tom off of a tension rod, <laughs> which is also kind of cool. That's what I do with my keys. <laughs> uh, see? Well, yep. Throck, we have one more of yours. This is 1994, Bob Berg. The record is Riddles. Yep. And the tra- the album, the track is Ramiro's Dream. Yeah. Why'd you pick this one? Just because it's a little later than, like, kind of this earlier, maybe, like, heyday everybody thinks about. Um, he wasn't on as many... He's still on a ton of records, always, but there weren't maybe so many records of him kind of playing like this at the time. Um, you know, he was on that track on Weckl's record, on Master Plan, where he was really, they were kind of going back and he forth. He sounds and great on that Sounds track. so good. He beat Weckl up on that track. <laughs> I mean, they're, both, they're both kind of killing, man. I mean, but, yeah. but it's like, it was cool for me to hear that. Like, oh man, Gad's still like the guy, you yeah. know? And I remember when I got this record, it's kind of a mellow record other than this tune, just thinking like, man, Gad can still play 
as well as anybody playing this stuff. That's kind of was my feeling in the mid '90s, man. Like, Gad still, mm. he still has it all. You know, he hasn't lost anything. This would have been the black maple custom kit, probably. Yeah, probably, probably. at that era. I mean, who knows what he's playing on the session? But yeah. I mean, it's just some Gad stuff. He goes some cowbell stuff in there. It's super <laughs> bad. Here we go. This is two minutes and twenty seconds in. Chicks on this, by the way. Here we go. Nice plan, you know. Yeah, that's great. Like, kind of those, like, where he puts stuff, all, yeah. that, all yeah. that flaming stuff. It's yeah. amazing. I, it sounds to me like he's. They're all playing live. Mm-hmm. Maybe some percussion might have been overdone yeah, yeah. or something. But but he is. To, to, it sounds to me like he is reacting very specifically to what Bob Berg is mm-hmm. playing. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, Bob mm-hmm. Berg plays something with some tension, and yeah. Gad answers mm-hmm. that with some with some tension response yeah and and it's i mean that's gad as a jazz musician mm-hmm. yeah he's totally he's on bass because he's Pat like she's on bass. i was gonna okay. ask because yeah. he's staying out of the way but yeah. also mm-hmm. getting his stuff in there yep. too that's great bob Burke sounds amazing he's, he's killing yeah, he's and incredible. like it's this some of those things gad plays is like in odd places you know it's yep. like it's kind of like that's some stuff that could throw if those guys weren't good players they wouldn't know what's going on you yeah know? no true yeah it's well, like but they all they know he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. That trust is established. Like, yeah, I talk right, about yeah. that a lot of times with like young players. It's yep. like, they, you know, not that we're all, not that any of us are above making poor choices on a gig at times, but but hopefully you've learned enough over the years to, to make less well, of them. I, I think <laughs> some last night. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like, I think I think what when you're playing with somebody new, yeah, sure. it's about developing like a, a relationship, like a, like a, a, a trust, yeah. like. Mm. Like letting them know. Eventually, they know. Oh, I can trust this guy. Right. So now, when he goes for some stuff, I'll just, I'll just play in time right. through it, and it's gonna work. Where yeah. some people, they come out tr- trying too many radical things, and then you see like a piano player. Maybe you know the guy in the gig. You're like, oh, he, he's not sure what this guy's doing. He's not sure if he's gonna, it's yeah. gonna work out. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you have to. You have to build that over time. Yeah, yeah, you can hear it. That's what I first thing ran through my head was, man, everyone is playing their instrument and the music yeah. at such a high yeah, level. Yeah. Like, but you know, imagine being like Patitucci. I mean, obviously he knows about Steve Gadd. He's done about him forever. He played with Chick forever. Blah 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 blah. You know, you get the phone call. Can you do this get day Gadd's on? It's like, pff, yeah, right. Of course, yeah. nothing to worry about there. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna kill it. He was on the session that I teched for. Yeah. And they both were sight reading, and it was some complex, long, like ten-page charts. Patitucci was, Gad was a little bit like, "Yeah, that's good," and John was like, "No, nah, we got to do it again." Yeah, wow. he was the one that made him do a second take on Interesting. all the things. 
It was pretty wild to see them two interact. What was the music like? Was it fusion-y? It was very orchestrated. There was a lot of loops and samples and stuff. So the drums and bass were just kind of adding elements. Mm -hmm. So wow. it was pretty weird. Gad yeah. never really got a chance to like learn the tune. He, just, he just played it down twice, and they were like, okay, we can work with that. Wow. But the bass yeah. lines were way more intricate, so uh, gotcha. <laughs> he had to like, wait a minute, we have yeah, to Yeah, we got to get this. Yeah. <laughs> wow, wow, interesting. It was pretty wild. <clears throat> well, we've gone over an hour, but I think we have to end with... Oh, man, he's worth... He deserves it. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Keep it rolling, man. <laughs> we're going to just fade out with the fade out of Asia. I think oh, that's man. the appropriate way to do it. Yep. Paul, thanks for your uh, your wisdom and great selections. Oh, I've man, got thank some... You, uh, wisdom might be a little bit of a stretch with this guy. Thanks hey, for man. your research. <laughs> I'm joking, man. Well, well Scott. And your props. Tons of, tons of, tons of uh, wisdom. I'm just busting balls. Wisdom. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. No. Hey man, old friends. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Just wait till we get to the Weckle podcast. <laughs> Can't be nice. Oh, I can, it's already coming. I can feel it. Yeah, he's already. Yeah, there's already going to be some. All right, here's Asia. Thanks for che checking out the episode. See you next time. <laughs>